welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're a podcast that's uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply roast to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today we are talking with Trayvon Bruch. He is one of the founders of Safe Wave Technology. And what is Safe Wave Technology, you ask? It's actually quite interesting. It is a company that's focusing on creating a safer environment for individuals who are deaf slash hard of hearing through a patent pending wearable device. And this device, it's, it's a wristband and it would connect to your watch. And through an app, it would vibrate on your watch. If you are in some sort of a situation, let's say you're sleeping at night and there's a fire in your home and you need to escape. But how do you wake up if not all of your senses are there and you can't hear a fire alarm? That wristband will go off and they're creating that technology. I'm so excited to talk to Trayvon. I'm excited and I'm also, I guess, humbled because I think... I definitely do take my five senses for granted, you know, and um, and so I'm excited to see how he's helping, you know, the deaf and hard of hearing community. And in preparation for this interview, I kind of did some research to bring a little history nugget today. Give us our history nugget. So uh, a lot of people in the tri-state know St. Rita School for the Deaf. Yeah, It was first thought as an idea and enacted in 1914 uh, by Archbishop Henry Moeller for, you know, this group of, you know, priests and religious nuns to help the deaf in the diocese of Cincinnati. And eventually, by 1927, some of the first high school students officially graduate from St. Mm. Rita's. So, so it wasn't official. It wasn't official until almost... Until you know, 13 years after the fact. So it was kind of just like a two farmhouse kind of homeschool situation. And then they legitimately had an education curriculum and first high school students graduated. And then St. Rita receives full state accreditation, becoming the first Catholic high school for the deaf in the country. Fun fact. And look at where they are today, too. Yes. And they now help service a lot more than just the deaf and hard of hearing community. So super grateful to have them as a part of the greater Cincinnati community. 100%. And it's a community that I imagine, unfortunately, is probably very underserved. Mm. So hearing Trayvon's story as to how he came across uh, this thought, this invention, this vision will be in very enlightening. So with that said, let's bring him in. Okay, Trayvon, we are so excited to have you on because I had the privilege actually to chat with you earlier a couple months ago about safe wave technology. And, you know, that was the first thought in my mind was, oh my goodness, we need to get you on the podcast and really dive into the long form story of safe wave technology and how it all started. So that's my first question right out the gate is give us a little background as to how safe wave technology came about and what it is. Yeah. So um, it was a pleasure. It's a pleasure being here, of course. Uh, thank you for, you know, reaching back yeah. out and, and getting this thing going, right? Heck yeah. Um, basically, yeah. So just a little bit history about me and myself. I graduated from Eastern Kentucky University with a political science degree. 
and kind of plan to go to law school. Totally logical if you want to find out. <laughs> right? Like the business, next right? thing you know, you're lobbying him. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> but basically, I started at uh, Eastern Kentucky University. I was down there for five years. And while I was down there, I actually created a mobile application called My Campus View. And okay. with My Campus View, uh, it was our first kind of dive into the technology scene, I guess you can say. Yeah. And My Campus View was like an all-in-one mobile app that kind of like allowed you to navigate stuff like that. So were you also taking like coding classes and stuff no. as a political science? No. I. <laughs> what is what? <laughs> I, I know, right? I know. I kind of asked myself how. I think, I think what really drew me to just technology and just these mm. other products that I'm working on is the fact that I'm able to be creative and kind mm. of use my creative touch with these ideas. And, you know, after diving into them, you kind of get to see just, you know, how far your mind can go. And if yeah. other people agree with it, yeah. <laughs> I started as a broadcast major though. So maybe hey, that, shout out. yeah, right. I did that for three years and then, you know, switched over political science, but um, yeah. So I jumped into tech with a mobile app that was for campuses and after that, I think I just kind of fell in love with just working on ideas and just, you know, where you can take an idea and how you can profit from an idea potentially, mm-hmm. which kind of stumbled us on SafeWave. SafeWave is a vibration-based security system for individuals who are deaf or hard of hearing. So what we did is we took the typical security system that kind of focuses on sound. And what we did is gave a vibration to a band. So you would wear this band that's similar to your Apple Watch band or a Fitbit. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is it's connected to a mobile app. And that mobile app kind of scans either your ADT security system, your ring or whatever type of security system you do have. And what it does is whenever that gets a notification, it shoots the notification from ring or whatever security system you have to our app. And our app then sends a notification to this band. And what the band does is it vibrates. So it allows our potential demographic to wake up and react to the vibration. Okay. We're going to need to. I see the wheels double. turning in your head. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm asking a, multiple, a multitude of questions when yes. I first learned about <laughs> it too, but it's cool. So I'm going to have to take a step back and go back to your history in the sense of, okay, this sounds like a super technical company. Where the heck did you learn these technical skills? Are you like hiring other people for these technical skills to learn about it? Like, Or are you a genius? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like this. I like, yes. I prefer genius. Uh, yes, no. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, honestly, I'm, I just like the creative side of things. I, I mm. like thinking of ideas and I like, you know, interacting with individuals. I don't know anything tech. So I have a tech com- multiple tech <laughs> companies, but I don't know anything tech. I'm trying How to. Does, what does that even mean? I know, right? Like, I, no, I, I can't read code. I don't know how no, to make just- things communicate. So I have a technical co-founder. Okay. Um, MIS. Yeah. So my technical co-founder, he's the one who develops, you know, the prototypes, the codings. And then um, we just added a, a college student that goes down to the University of Kentucky who has been designing a mobile app for us. Oh, so nice. I'm just kind of like 
the guy that sits in front and with all these pretty products and I, I have my uh, you're the PR guy. There you go. And I, I have everyone behind the vision. Shop. Yeah, my team. Yeah, but you well, you're you are over if you have you have to have the vision first though mm-hmm. in order to be able to reach that goal. And what I think is interesting is how is there nobody else are there other competitors in your field? So yeah, this question is always one of the tough ones to answer simply mm-hmm. because nobody wants to hear that they don't have competition. So yeah. I would say no, we don't have competition. Until now. Until now, yeah. <laughs> would um, you say, I guess, like, competition's just, like, there wasn't really much, like, they just had, like... So, our demographic consists of 466 million individuals, right? Which is a mm-hmm. huge demographic. Wow. The issue is that they're overlooked. The only type of security that is offered to this demographic, the deaf and hard of hearing, is visual-based. Mm-hmm. But if somebody is asleep... Now you don't have the hearing and you don't have the vision. So what's next? So we kind of found our slim area to kind of, you know, sneak into. And yeah. we, we took it that much farther to give them the feel. So help me understand this in the sense, how the heck did you come up with this idea and become so passionate about this idea? Like no one's like researching the market and thinking, yeah. oh, this like little sliver of the market is like great market opportunity. I mean, yeah, granted, they're probably- But the audience is huge. They're, they're pro- there probably yeah. are people like that out there totally building businesses just like that, but mm-hmm. you seem so passionate and in love with the idea that you clearly, clearly did not do that yourself. So how the heck did you come up with this idea? So I was sleeping at home one day a fire alarm went off and I got annoyed off like off rip. Cause usually when the smoke alarm goes off, I'm like, <laughs> all right, it's going to be something that's not serious. Let me go check. Yeah. So after I went and checked, of course it was nothing serious. It was just going off probably a roommate cooking or something. I don't know, but it kind of brought me to my creative side, which I always think ahead, you know, uh, you know, what if I didn't hear this yeah. alarm? And then mm-hmm. I think, well, there, there are people who are actually deaf and hard of hearing. So there is a demographic there. And that kind of led me to my next step, right? So I was going to Northern Kentucky University, planned on, you know, getting an accountant degree because I don't know what I want to do with my life. But I stumbled across the small business program. And after waking up to this fire alarm and figuring out my demographic, I brought it to the small business program and asked, you know, hey, I would love to, you know, further research this. And I think we could build a business out of this product. And they were like, okay, well, it sounds too good to be true. If somebody's thought of this, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's a band that vibrates for deaf, hard of hearing. Yeah. So after they researched, they couldn't find anything. It's still wild. To uh, me. It, it was wild to me too. So from there, we're like, okay, this it might be something to work with. We got a, you know, it's a unique demographic. Why hasn't anybody thought of this? And it brought me back to my original point is it's an overlooked demographic. You know, mm. people don't, when you don't research something or look into it, you don't know about it. So we really started getting into just dealing with people who didn't understand the demographic. So it seemed like they didn't have interest in it. And I think that's what drove my passion was that I was able to connect and potentially provide a solution for a group that doesn't have somebody trying to provide a solution for them. This is almost from a marketing standpoint too, and just an overall business standpoint, right? The first thing any good businesses, you need to know who your audience is, who your demographic is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I feel like it's, it's one of these ideas that when you hear about it, you're thinking, wow, this is, this is genius. When you thought of this, did you know pretty much right away that this was going to be somewhat 
or hopefully will soon be a huge success? Um, I don't want to sound, you know, cocky, but yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it was very specific. It sounds like you knew exactly who your audience is. Yeah. So I work on a lot of companies, obviously. I work with all these startups. And yeah. this is the one that everybody always says, you know, that's that's the one, right? That's the mm. one that's going to be different. And I really do think it's mm. because of the demographic we're targeting. Just the safety aspect of things is like unique, safety, it kind of turns heads. And you say, so you're you're a bit of a visionary, right? Mm-hmm. And when you had this vision, you knew who the demographic is. What advice can you give to someone who might, who who is coming in brainstorming ideas and may not know who their demographic is for their product. Do you have any advice as to how to target a demographic? Yeah, I would say everybody. So everybody isn't your customer. Potentially everybody can be, but mm-hmm. the way that we really targeted our demographic was, I want to say is just my initial reaction of what happened if I didn't hear that. I right then and there mm-hmm. knew that I'm dealing with the deaf and hard of hearing, even though our company we still eventually down our timeline, we want to get into, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, special mm-hmm. needs, um, Amazon factories with OSHA, things of that nature. But I would say it's very, very important to narrow down that demographic, what you feel is going to serve, which community your product's going to serve best, and just chase that one demographic first. You wrap up a good point about like target demographic and not everyone's going to be your customer. Yeah. How did you figure out that the deaf and hard of hearing would actually buy a product like this? The biggest thing that we did was, of course, you got to get out there, right? You got to talk to people. You got to figure out, you got to hear stories. So that's the first thing I did, right? I took the social media trying to figure out, Mm -hmm. you know, does anybody have any relatives that are deaf and hard of hearing? I want to hear stories. I want to hear, you know, different things that you went through and see Mm -hmm. if it kind of relates to what I'm trying to do. I think the real defining moment was actually when I talked to a stranger down in Texas. So I was in this TCU competition and there was the winner created biodegradable straws, but he was actually fully deaf. So perfect opportunity, right? Whoa, what? Plot twist. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) So I asked him, I was just like, you know, hey, um, if somebody breaks into your home today or, you know, anything happens at night, you know, what do you do? You know, what is your solution to, to fix and make sure that you're safe? Mm. And, you know, he kind of chuckled and said, we die. So at first I'm like, no, mm. seriously, what, you know, what do you guys do? What do you have in play? Mm. And he, you know, he kind of got serious. He's like, no, really, we die. Wow. So at that moment I knew, okay, you know, this is deeper than just let's create a product and, and, yeah. and, and we can get rich, you know, let's get rich. It, we knew it was deeper than that now, right? We now have a product that we're actually able to implement and really make people feel better at night when they sleep. Take away that anxiety. Take away the peace of mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's literally what it is. Peace of mind. So once I realized like, hey, you know, people actually can really benefit and feel safe from this product. That's another piece of where my, you know, my motivation came in was like, okay, we could really save some lives with this. We could really help a community that's that's humongous, a humongous community that's going yeah. so. So what has been the feedback then from this community? And what was the initial feedback at first and how have you adapted that? So it's mixed. Mixed as in we have people who love it. Mixed as in we have people who dislike it. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is the people that dislike it, I understand why they dislike it. And what do they say? It's more so is that, once again, since this community is very close, they're very close-knit for one, right? Mm-hmm. And for two, 
the only time that this group is ever approached is if somebody's trying to make money off of them. Mm. So I'm not sure if you're familiar or not, but even- It's a hearing, trust thing. Yeah, exactly. So even hearing aids, for example, they have to pay out of pocket for that. Insurance doesn't cover that. That's crazy. Anytime they deal with anybody coming in with a product, a product-based you know, product, it's really just, they're just trying to make money. Then how do you gain their trust? By using the people who do trust us. And just involving ourselves more in the community and showing them, hey, you know, we're not we're not just trying to make a dollar off you. We're really trying to supply jobs for you. You know, if I can hire part of this community to come work for our company, I want to create jobs for them. Right. Along the lines of that, you know, when we release our first model for the second model, how about you turn in your first model? We just refurbish it and give it out to the community for free or we get involved with government programs that buy from us and give out Mm. to the community for free. So if we're able to start implementing just, you know, sharing and helping this community, not only in the aspect of safety, but just being able to create jobs and give them an income or give them a chance to just, you know, donate to individuals who are less fortunate. We now kind of are involved in it. It's bigger picture than just a product to save. It's a product that can really grow this community and show the world. Are there organizations that you've gotten involved with uh, that kind of help you build that trust? So there isn't any organizations that we've been involved with. We are starting to deal with a lot of audiologists personally. Hmm. So Hmm. while dealing with these audiologists, of course, people trust them more than the guy from Northern (laughs) Kentucky trying to sell (laughs) something, right? (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're getting more involved now in the community in general, where we're trying to go set up shop places and just inform, not sell, but inform, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm not trying to sell you something. This is what we're trying to do. So we believe that the more knowledge we can get out, the more trust we can gain. So what do you believe this time? Because how far are you now into this project and into this business? So we created this project back in 2019. And, so it's still pretty new. Yeah. So we took a year off, though. So we kind of, we didn't do anything. We did go through a pandemic. Yeah. So we didn't do anything 2020 really, but we restarted working again the beginning of this year. So 2021 with Mortar Covington. Yes. Talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. So, so Mortar was great. Um, That's more so where we got. Shout out to the Mortar team. Uh, They were on the podcast on an earlier episode. So yeah. I love Mortar. They, they, they helped us. They helped us. um, I guess you can say really set up that vision and narrowed down. Because when mm. we first started, we actually wanted to go in as a full security company. So mm. we wanted to bring in a central hub, supply. Yeah, let's <laughs> simplify. <laughs> the vision's nice. Yeah, do this whole pretty thing, get screens and specific safe wave bands. But now we're like, hold up. If Ring and Simply Safe and everybody already does this, we don't need to reinvent the wheel at a piece in. Now, did Mortar come in and kind of help you guide that vision a little bit too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. you're like, hey, this is great. We we want safety yeah. for everyone, but let's yeah, yeah. funnel your focus. Yeah. Is it, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, they're more so. It's like, okay, yeah, it's a it's a brilliant idea. But I think I think it's more so is that me and my team were already thinking of jumping into this project at year three already. Yeah. Like, okay, you need yeah. to start back down and get the foundation together. Start one piece at a time. So if we can focus on a wristband first, which is really our piece that is going to yeah. be functioning to wake these Simple individuals up. Yeah. yeah. Just focus on the wristband first. Once you get the wristband down pat and, you know, people start trusting you, then mm. you can start boosting up to these other systems. 
I guess that's a good, that's just kind of where my mind was going before in the concept of time, right? So if there's someone similar in your shoes, what do you have to tell them about setting goals over a length of time? It's, it's uh, necessary. 30, 60, mm-hmm. 90. Everybody, of course, wants the big fish, right? Mm-hmm. If I can yeah. go to Amazon and sell them my bands for a billion dollars tomorrow, I would. Woo. Right? But, <laughs> and some people might, some people, but that's that's that like 0.02%. Exactly, mm-hmm. right? It's, Come back so, down so, <laughs> it's more so, right? So I, we need to get to that 99.8% realistic vision of, mm. okay, what is it really going to take for our product to get to that level? So what does it take? Well, first off, we need to make sure that our prototype is better than anything else that can make a vibration on your wrist, right? And that we yeah. can support it with evidence and that the community accepts it. We just checked off a big mark um, of our 30-day goal. I, like I said, you know, we've been working with the kid from the University of Kentucky. And our mm-hmm. goal was, okay, let's have a app that connects to a band by the end of this month. Let's, let's work and make it happen. Well, today it's it's August twelfth. You know, we're twelve days behind ish, but we're there. Mm. So love that. Yeah. So we're meeting, awesome. Yeah. So he's meeting with us. We're bringing him a band, and now he's going to connect a band to the app. So love it's kind of hard to sell a billion to sell to Amazon for a billion when before we didn't even have an app that connected so, to a band. So, so I guess next question: When could possibly people start having these on their wrists and testing it out? And are there any regulations that you need to go through? Because, you know, you are, you know, I don't know, it's like a quasi, you know, I don't know, it's kind of almost kind of like a hearing aid in the sense, like it adds to the help of an individual that's hard of hearing. Is there any like, you know, potential roadblocks from you getting to market quickly? Yeah, so right now we're trying to figure out if we're going to be considered a medical device or not. Mm-hmm. So that's really what it comes down to, because if you're considered- Do you get to make that decision? No, I don't. Okay. Yeah, OSHA and all that, they, they make that decision. So we literally mm. have to go and do research and make sure that if we're not a medical device, we can get to market pretty quickly. Right now, we're in the pre-seed funding stage. So we're raising funds, raising capital so that we can get this thing to market. How much are you raising? We are trying to raise anywhere between 750 grand to 1.2 million. Okay. And with that funding, though, we'll be able to, it'll cover, you know, 750K will get us to where we're making sales and we're starting to generate revenue and um, producing. Yeah. The one, the 1 million plus is going to, it'll cover about three years. So yeah. So it's, it's a big, and and the amazing part is, I mean, it's all Mm -hmm. possible. Um, Mm -hmm. You have a vision. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So going back to those goals, you're, you've hit your goal. You're, you said you were 12 days behind, which is actually really, really good. And the next one is tell us again. So the next one now is what we're going to do is we're going to start testing now. So we've already ran tests before um, with individuals and it worked effectively. We had this big, bulky 3D printed band that (laughs) we tested and it worked. We had had this NKU student sleep and he wore a band and we had our app. It wasn't our own personal app. It was a testing app that was connected Mm -hmm. and they were connected via Bluetooth. So our developer was able to hit start on the motors from his home. And we had the individual who was doing the test for us. His father actually watched him. And we were on the call and we said, okay, we're going mm. to hit this button. Let us know the reaction. And when he hit the button, he woke up instantly. So we got a bunch of thumbs up from the, the students named Tyler Stockel and his parents. Hey, shout out. <laughs> yeah. And, our, and his parents, they gave us the thumbs up. But we realized, okay, now let's try to do the same thing. But 
with a smaller band. Let's see how it works. Let's see mm -hmm. if it can really wake somebody up. Let's see what we can do. So we're going to do that. And we're actually going to test it against an Apple watch mm, to, see interesting. How, to see how they react. So the, the unique thing is our motors on our wristband are placed on the bottom of the wrist. Whereas Apple watches, the vibration is on the top of the wrist. Is that due to sensitivity? Exactly. Yes. So your bottom of your wrist is more sensitive. So, okay. So step one was getting the idea, the product, you know, alive and well. Step two seems to be uh, testing. Do you have any advice? And then now, did you come up with how you planned on testing this product? Do you have any advice for that? So really it's once again, just community, the way that your relations mm -hmm. are in the community. So what we plan on doing is taking our device and testing it with probably 10 individuals. Once we get those testings, we're then able to now, okay, this is what they felt needed to be changed. This is what they liked about it. We go back and we recreate. Once we recreate, we do the same thing. We go test another group of individuals, right? This time we mm -hmm. want to go a little bigger though. We want to test 50 people. And I think this is such a smart point though for entrepreneurs, right? That rather than going and trying to produce thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of bands, hoping that you're going to sell them, you are going through series and phases of tests in a way that you're able to finally get to a product that you know people will like and that works. Exactly. That's a major piece. So that's also another thing that one of my advisors taught me, right? Whereas I knew yeah. we could test it. I knew it worked, but he, you know, you can never test enough. Yeah. You know, if, if we can go in there and show that, hey, it worked here, we redesigned yeah. and it worked again effectively. Now we can start, okay, let's start with this many units. Now we can move from here and kind of see where it goes. But I definitely think that that is a very important piece for anybody who is trying to do anything is you can never test enough. So even if you think your product mm. is the best product <laughs> and you are ready to go out there and make some money, let's just take a couple steps back once again. You know, patience is a virtue and test it. Make sure that because the worst thing that could happen is we create a product, go to market with it, it fails. And now we're going to have to work right. on our credibility once again. Mm. Because you're also talking about lives, right? It puts you in yeah. a sticky situation. Exactly. I kind of want to switch gears here a little bit in the sense of, Okay. Do you have the tech side, right? And it sounds like you're swimming just fine up that, you know, up that stream. What about the business side of things? How are you learning to, you know, effectively be the leader of this team? I would think so. Me personally, I believe that the leadership role kind of goes back to how I was raised, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I was brought up by a single mother. So I've been mm -hmm. the man of the house since the age of 12. So I have three younger brothers. Shout out to mom. Exactly. Shout out to mom. Mm -hmm. um, you go, girl. Yeah, I've been the man of the house since the age of 12. So at the age of 12, I had to learn leadership and responsibility. My mother worked night shift. So that left me with three younger brothers at the age of 12. I had to make sure, okay, mm -hmm. when you make sure homework's done. Did we eat today? So I would think a lot of that comes into, I, I learned a lot of tools at a young age that allowed me to mature quicker, mm -hmm. that helped me become a leader that I am today for my teams. What are some of those tools in that toolbox that you are able to utilize? Yeah. Um, I think consistency and yes. just learning, learning behaviors that work for me over time. So learning to relax, learning to mm -hmm. sit back, take, it's not a race. As long as we get there, it doesn't matter the pace. Right. Yeah. I think my, my tools would probably be just patience, consistency and networking. You can never talk to enough people. 
you can never, never give up for, for two. When I say yeah. never give up, that means, you know, to the point where, you know, you might be up at night sick because you didn't meet your goal. But tomorrow's mm-hmm. a new day, right? So you got to take it a little easy on yourself at the same time. It kind of goes back to that patience piece that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's really, you know, a couple of things. That I- so is there something that has surprised you that you've learned about yourself during this journey that's really challenged you? Hmm. Yes. I would say it's very easy to become unmotivated once mm. you have you know, visions of something and it didn't pan out. So like I said, in 20, you know, 2018, when I, when I first started my first project, right. You know, we had this plan outlined and we were going to be making a billion dollars a year, right? Like let's go. Then, you know, the reality hits and, you know, when everybody's telling you, oh, your idea is amazing. It's going to be so mm. good. And then you're not making sales. Mm. It can yeah. kind of smack you in the face and kind of wake you up. The, mar- the market says differently, right? There you go, right? So then it's like, man, like I just invested all this time into this project and it didn't go the way I wanted to. And was this before or after mortar? This was before mortar. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like, I want to quit, you know? I, why don't I just mm. go get a job and work my way up nine to five and, you know, make an exact amount of dollars per year, yeah. live comfortable with the family, but- it always comes back down to, I think that's what separates, you know, hustlers from other individuals is that you're going to bet on yourself every time, no matter how long it takes, you're going to bet on yourself. You brought up, you know, you're, you've kind of, you are a serial entrepreneur and, you know, in preparing for this interview, it's definitely seen you are involved in multiple projects. How do you, I guess, prioritize or able, how are you able to do it all? Yeah. Like how do you manage that all? Honestly, my support system being my team's. I think my teams are, you know, I'm, I'm an extremely motivated person, but I think me being able to pour motivation into my teams and my teams being able to pour motivation back into me, it allows me to keep up with all of them. So mm. I might be pouring into different buckets, but every bucket I pour into, they pour back into me. Mm. So I think that allows me to stay motivated for each project. And I think that, you know, each team that I have, they're very motivated as well. So it mm. takes a lot of pressure off me. The role that I play for SafeWave with the connections and everything is similar Mm -hmm. to the role I play with them. So Mm -hmm. I might be talking to an individual and depending on how they speak and what they talk about is which project I'm really going to present to that person. Mm -hmm. So reading individuals and and doing that type of thing. Like you said, you're motivated. You get it back from them. You're working with very like-minded people, but also not every day is rainbows and sunshine, even if other people are motivated around you. Mm -hmm. What, what is it for you? that gets you out of a, of a bad motivational, let's say even a week. Yeah. Funk. <laughs> yeah. In a funk. Yeah. It funks. We, we all go through funks and what advice can you give? So it's crazy. You said that cause I just posted on LinkedIn, uh, I believe earlier this week I was draining myself. I was working, mm. working, working. Um, and the sleep that I do get might, it might be four hours, five hours, but yeah. you know, when you're going a month of doing something like that, it adds up, right? You get drained mm-hmm. and then things aren't going the way you want to go. 12 days ago, the prototype was supposed to be done. It wasn't done. Now it's like, okay. But at the end of the day, I just always realize, like I said before, you take a step back, mm-hmm. take a day off. You know, tomorrow's mm-hmm. a new day. Me taking eight hours off today isn't going to make that prototype be done tomorrow. 
So really realizing that no matter how hard you work, if you aren't effective, you're not going to be able to move forward. Mm. So Mm. if I don't efficient and effective. yeah, Yeah. So, I mean, I can give you, you know, three hours of work today that I'm not, you know, that I'm exhausted, but that three hours of work is only going to be maybe one hour total kind mm. of good work. Whereas, okay, how about I take the day off and then tomorrow I come back in with eight hours of work that I know I'm refreshed for. Mm-hmm. So how do you get into that mindset of, I, I like to call it a flow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's very much when you're in a really mm-hmm. great work state, you're you, are, you're, you, you are, you are in a flow. Yeah. I experienced that with editing is a good, yeah. is an easy example. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I like to surround myself with family a lot. And I feel like family mm-hmm. helps me get away from it. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's always good to be around. Yes. Men that's telling you, Hey, come on, you got yeah. this. You could do it. Right. You feel good about yourself. Feels good. But at the end of the day, when you go home and lay that head down, now it's like, okay, I'm just in my head. So once I realize that I'm getting to a point where I'm overthinking things is usually mm-hmm. when I step back, like, okay, let me take a day or two off. I'll go play disc golf or I'll go cut the grass or just yeah, golf, golf. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I just do things that are more so just, you know, relaxing. Like I went on vacation, you know, I oh, just nice. to get away from something, even though it could be You'll a recharge. Day. Yeah. Just the recharge. I believe a recharge is extremely yeah. necessary. And no matter what field you're in, your mental is power. So if you're lacking on your mental, your business is really going to kind of go down in my opinion. Do you see entrepreneurs get in their own head a lot? Absolutely. I feel like entrepreneurs are scared, A, of not only their business not being what they want it to be, but B, I also noticed that a lot of entrepreneurs are afraid of what the public perceives them as. Mm. So the thing with me is I realized that I used to be the same way, right? Where I have to make sure that everybody knows my my business is yeah. a flower. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. But behind the phone screen, it's like, oh my gosh, like our deadlines aren't being hit. Aren't once you realize that, you know, the whole journey of entrepreneurship isn't just flowers. You know, there's a lot of a, a lot of ugliness, a lot of ugliness. Yeah. In it. And once you accept that, I really feel like you are setting yourself up to move forward without fearing judgment or fearing any type of negativity or any type of objection of what you're trying to do. And you have to remember that it's funny. I think it's so easy for us to get in our own heads and lose confidence because there's that fine balance of having confidence and having, uh, there's, there could be Mm -hmm. false confidence and there can be the vanity stunt, right? Because I think sometimes we can get so passionate about something. We lose sight of who our audience is Mm -hmm. and why we're doing it and what our mission is. And then there's the other side where if you lose confidence, you have to remember that we're all playing in this weird space that we're going to be in our own heads and we're going to have our own self-doubts. Everybody has their own Mm self-doubt. Just make sure that you keep your sense of purpose and know who your audience is. And with that, I actually am going to ask my last question. So over the course of this recording, you have dropped a lot of knowledge for our audience and for myself. I'm thinking about it all still like just processing it in my head. What is one thing that you hope they take away from your story and your company, Safewave? That any dream that you have, it isn't too big. Because there's a lot of times where people told me that or, or laughed and thought I was crazy and that, you know, I couldn't do it. I needed more help. And that, you know, I've been told multiple times that our company needs a new CEO. I've been told a lot of times that, you know, oh, you're not motivated enough or you don't know enough about this. So really what I think people need to take away from this is that 
It doesn't matter about how old you are, mm. how much experience you have. If you have an idea and you truly, like truly, truly believe in it to where, like I was saying, where you can't sleep at night, do it. Go for it. What do you have to lose, honestly? I love that. I love that. I don't know if I can top another question. <laughs> Trayvon, seriously, this has been awesome. And yes, we really appreciate you taking the time today. Yes, yeah, it was a pleasure, of course. I love, I love talking about Safeways, so uh, anytime. Heck yeah. 466 million individuals that are hard of hearing. Wow, that's a lot. It's quite the demographic that SafeWave technology is serving. And the fact that that is just a small portion of people in this country and in the world that have a disability, and usually mm -hmm. people with disabilities are overlooked, as Trayvon mm -hmm. mentioned. You know, I'm glad that he is bringing to light this issue. That, you know, something like I mentioned earlier before we started the interview, you know, we take for granted being able to wake yeah. up if there's if there's danger nearby. Yeah, that are that all of our senses are working mm -hmm. properly in order for us to read if we're in a traumatic potentially mm -hmm. situation. And one of the one of the biggest uh, parts of this interview that really stuck out to me is the fact that the trust factor mm -hmm. because we take it take we can take for granted, like we just said, our senses that they have to be trusted in that community because does it become gimmicky? How do they, it, that's, that is simply a matter of time, which then goes back to his, his thought of consistency. Any good business, you have to be consistent with your vision and you have to give it time and you have to find ways as a good leader to be able to build and grow that relationship and produce a good product too, of course, at the end of the day. It's all about relationships. Part of that, he brought up the fact that hearing aids are straight out of pocket. Not to get on a soapbox here, oh but like, that's a whole nother topic. Like, insurance yeah, yeah. doesn't even cover that. Like, that's crazy. So, healthcare 101. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, just for people to live their own lives, they're already being taken advantage of, you know. Mm -hmm for their money. So hopefully, you know, he is able to build that trust with the community because I think this is a really great product, uh, great founder. He clearly has lear uh, learned a lot just by living, you know, yeah. you know, from his story growing up. He, it, now he's applying yeah, it to business today. Uh, I think that's amazing. And I'm super excited to see where he goes. You know what I'm excited about for Trayvon is just imagine, you know, like 15, 20 years from now, I, you know, fingers crossed that SafeWave technology is, is a success. And if this particular product isn't, he's a kind of guy that he's going to pivot. And mm. I have a feeling it's going to be a success. But what he's able, he, what he's going to be able to bring to the table for the next generation of entrepreneurs, especially if it's in, you know, the healthcare field, mm -hmm. That is more of what like I'm excited to see that down the road. That's very far down the future, but <laughs> I think he'll have a wealth of knowledge and with his passion and his leadership skills to teach the next generation. Yeah, the next generation of Cincinnati is in good hands, it sounds like. So keep those goals, keep those visions, people, and set goals, set visions and set timelines, but don't kill yourself if you don't hit them on that day. And with that, Allie, I think it's time to prost. Prost. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. 
Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripps Company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.